Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there is a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. March has arrived, and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action, and with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong. So, whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account. And make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome to In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is All Pelicans All the Time. Welcome to another episode of In the Know, brought to you by BetOnline.ag and our friends Untuck It. Mason, I know you do a lot of traveling for work, and there's been this virus going around. I'm not sure if you've heard about it, but it seems like a pretty big deal with the, the precautions the NBA is taking. Is your company taking any, any such precautions for this virus? Are there any cases in Chicago yet? <laughs> there are actually I was just looking at the map today there are seven there are seven cases in Chicago and I think two people have recovered and five is still up in the air um we are we're not doing 
we're, we're aligning to the CDC at this point where since we're a smaller firm, we uh, aren't, we don't have to take as extreme measures broadly as some of the bigger, more public companies do. And so we're just saying, you know, don't travel to the countries you're not supposed to travel to take precautions and, and just, we're not kind of going over the, over the top on it. And if the CDC changes its mind, then we'll, we'll certainly change ours. But, um, but yeah, no operating as usual so far and just washing my hands a lot more. Uh, what, what about you? I know you're not as much of a, a traveler, uh, for work, but everything, everything going okay. Atlanta's still, uh, hanging in there. Yeah. I still think there's only two confirmed cases. And for, for me, I work in healthcare and we, have direct contact with hospitals. So they're slowly encouraging us to stop showing up to work and work remotely, which is great. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if they're going to fully roll out with it. If that's the case, I might just work from new Orleans for quite a while. Um, that would be a lot of fun for me, but you know, nothing, nothing too crazy in Atlanta. I think people are buying up these supplies like toilet paper and water bottles like they're facing the end of the world. I mean, it's, so, it's a zombie it's, apocalypse, it's a man. It's crazy. Illness. And <laughs> like, you have these people that are buying like 40 cases of soap and it's like, you know, you gotta have other people wash their hands too. If you don't want to catch coronavirus. it's just <laughs> in any case, you know, things, things are, are mostly fine. I recently brought plane tickets to Austin and I was searching for them and two weeks ago they were like 400 bucks. And when I bought them, they were down to like a hundred something. And I was like, well, this, I'm glad that I waited. Uh, you know, usually if you wait this long, it goes up incrementally, but, and I was just being lazy and it ended up working out for me this time. But you know, people talking about traveling internationally for cheap. That's a lie. I looked up tickets to Italy where there's a lot of cases and it was like, well, now you can't go. You literally can't get in. It's like $700. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to look up like different places to, to visit. No, I, 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 I looked at the same thing and I did not see people were talking about getting like a cheap ticket to Hawaii, but like, I didn't see, I took, did look at some international flights and they're not, I, I'm like, you haven't, I haven't seen much. I, I but I did book, um, I'm going to come back to New Orleans for my brother's 30th birthday in a month. And it's, I think it's like Easter weekend. And I, on, just in case I am in Atlanta for work, I booked just a flight on Southwest home and it was like, like 50 to $75 or something. You can get so a $30 <laughs> flight to New Orleans from Atlanta. That's um, pretty crazy. Oh, right now? Yeah. Right now. $34. Uh, that, that, yeah, that's nuts. Uh, but <laughs> Anyway, I think we're, we don't mean to downplay the significance here, obviously. No, but, I, don't, um, I don't mean to downplay the significance. I think it's interesting because it, it is impacting the NBA. They released a joint statement with the precautions that they're taking. Um, the, the joint statement was with regards to other professional leagues and how they're limiting access to the locker rooms and um, kind of putting down some groundwork for media engagement and fan engagement and, and things of that nature, which is pretty – interesting because there's talks of them just playing games in empty stadiums and i think there's teams in italy that are already doing that and i i don't know how long or what metrics they're using to determine that that's a measure that they need to take but in our in our group chat mcnamara raises an amazing point in which that once you have decided to shut these things down when can you decide to to open them back up is it just when the vaccine happens? Yeah, I mean, I that's I think that's oversight too because 
vaccine implies one that there's immediate access to the vaccine and two that people care enough to go get it and so i mean because you see there are millions of people each year that i mean forget the anti-vax conversation that's 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 another conversation entirely but even people who, who who are like i've I've had some years where I just didn't go get the flu flu vaccine. Yeah, you anti vaxxer. <laughs> it, it was I mean, part of I, the problem. Yeah, right. I, I had no rhyme or reason to do it. I just never got around to it. And so a lot of times I'm fine. It, it, you know, it's. It, I feel like usually it it can be okay, but sometimes it's not. And so if I'm doing that, you know, I'm not a representative sample, but also it's. I mean, how. Are, are, are people going to be rushing to get this? And I don't know. And so even if you have a vaccine, like it's not going to, obviously it doesn't guarantee that the thing doesn't spread. So yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question of what, you know, when you reverse course and say, okay, things are getting better now. I don't know the answer. Mm. Interesting to see. I, I don't know if the NBA will actually end up taking that measure. I think it'll have to be really extreme for them too, but here we are to talk about the Pelicans, and tonight we will answer a litany of questions brought to us by the users. Users, oh God, I'm Excuse still me? in. <laughs> wow, that's like work lingo. Yeah, so like my end users, um, we call them users because whatever, I'm in tech. Okay, not users, listeners. You guys are listeners. You don't use us. You listen to us. <laughs> you don't use our product. Um, yeah so there there's there's a lot of great questions almost all of them are basketball related which is disappointing to me i hope we got all we need is another losing streak and then we'll get some fun questions again i think yeah but there's there's a lot of questions so um i say we can kick it off with with um i can start and then you can ask me a few and just kind of see where it ends up going um i think i want to hit on this one first because i think there's a few kind of related questions about it and i don't want to spend too much time on it. i just want to get it out of the way first um so okay. the question is i think gentry gets another year but whenever he gets replaced do you guys have a preference on where that person comes from most important thing is getting the right person but i lean towards g league or proven nba head coaches which there are very few over assistant coaches in college ranks and related to that question so that that's by nola ghost sports um, related to that question is Remy McSwain at, saying Atkinson is fine. Make the case for Lou. What changes would he make that would improve the team style or potential bench coaches, et cetera. Um, so yeah, just, just going to tackle the whole coaching stuff because that is topical news at the moment where the Nets fired Kenny Atkinson in perhaps the wake of displeasure from the star players on that team or other players on the team. They say there was a source of friction. One of the sources was him wanting to play Jared Allen, who is a better player than DeAndre Jordan over DeAndre Jordan. And that didn't sit well with the roster, but um, it also seemed like Atkinson was miserable um, because of reasons such as this. So it seemed like a mutual parting. In in any case, when whenever a coach is fired, there's always people who are, who are naturally curious how that coach would fit with the Pelicans, and and I guess we can talk. Do you have any thoughts on on the coaching situation or 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 Atkinson or Lou or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I I guess a couple of things. One is I want to start more broadly, and and the thing that 
I, I mentioned this on Twitter the first thing in the morning when I saw the news, but I, I think my takeaway from this whole situation is just how, how hard it is to be a coach in this league, man. Like, I, I feel like more and more often we're hearing about coaches being miserable, and, and I don't know if it's just this day and age that we're in or if there's something more to it, but it, it does sound like, you know, it, it sounds like the, a lot of coaches are just not having a great time, and whether you want to call it the age of player empowerment or, or what, it's, it's something. And even, even coaches who have gained some respect throughout the league, throughout whether, whether it's from the years they spent as an assistant or a good first stint as a head coach, maybe didn't take that next step with the team. I feel like there are still a lot of guys who are, you know, who are still you know, well-respected well around the league but, but just don't mesh with the particular players on the roster and there's the fallout. And so um, it's just, it goes to show you how many different things you've got to balance and be good at to be a head coach in the NBA forget the X's and O's on court stuff. And I just think it's, you know, it's, it's super challenging. And so finding that right fit. And I think you mentioned this, it's a, you mentioned this over the weekend. Like it, it takes, you know, it, it takes a, the right sequence of events. It takes the right combination of factors um, organizationally to find that right fit. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but weren't you, you were talking about that this weekend, right? Yes. I said your whole organization needs to be in complete and total alignment on what that vision is. In the net situation, that was not the case, whether it was on the GM level who sided with the players and encouraged such things as, as starting DeAndre Jordan, whether it's the players themselves who didn't buy into Atkinson's decision to play Jared Allen and, and have some of the other decisions that he made, and whether that's at Atkinson himself disagreeing with the players and, and the front office. Now, there's in good front offices, there's always going to be like healthy disagreement but you all share a common vision and you're able to have the backing from your organization to make the decisions you need. And at the end of the day, be a coach, but where there are issues are where ownership or management try to micromanage coaches. I think a lot of coaches kind of get fed up in those situations. They're like, you brought me in, you're paying me millions of dollars to coach. Let me do my thing. Um, you have situations like political situations where coach loses voice in the locker room. I think that's what, Atkinson said he felt like his voice didn't carry the same weight in the locker room that brought in Kyrie and, and Durant, who are powerful voices in and of themselves. And, and in reality, it's not one of these things where you're like, oh, well, this is a, a really good coach. Let me bring them in like it's a, a, a trade or a free agency signing. And all of a sudden, all your stuff is going to be fixed because that's not how it works. You need the buy-in from your your organization you need the buy-in from your players and the ability to implement a system and you also need players to um want to play in that system so it, it's difficult and i think some of the best coaches in the league separate themselves um in how they relate with all these moving parts but also in how they relate with their assistants because a lot of good coaches have elite elite assistance as as part of their staff and they enable and empower them and and frankly alvin's really good at enabling and powers empowering, empowering his assistants yep. and you, you've seen it this year with whether it's fred Benson being completely responsible for the reworking of the shot mechanics for some players whether it's chris finch having an enormous amount of control over what the offense looks like, whether it's Jeff Vistelic having an enormous amount of control, what the defense looks like. Alvin's a master at that. And clearly he relates really well with ownership. So any decision to move on from him on management's part is going to be because they don't see him as a part of 
the future that's going to transition into that next step. And, and, and that may very well be the case. There may be like, he may get along with all these guys really well, but Griff could decide like, Hey, this, you know, we, we want someone maybe younger or more energetic, or maybe they feel like he doesn't relate with the players. I don't know what the situation was, is with Alvin. I'm not going to pretend to know what the situation is with Alvin, but what I do know is that they're not going to fire him um, or hire him or extend him. They're not going to make any kind of decision on his future based on what the Pelicans do this season in terms of making the playoffs or not. That, 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 like the only thing that I feel like that can like actually like make a difference is if he's, if we somehow get to the finals or, or win a championship, then you're like, Oh, well, obviously you're going to keep this coach around. Um, but, but as far as like making a decision on whether to keep him or not, these making the playoffs this season will have very little input and in, on, on what happens. So that's where I stand um, regarding that. Now, as far as Ty Lu. And, and Kenny Atkinson go. I have a question for you, Mason. Um, what do you think Kenny Atkins' career coaching record is? <laughs> uh, well, I, my my one clarifying question is he he hasn't been anywhere besides Brooklyn, right? That's it. That's the only head coaching job. Correct. Besides? Correct. Then, then it's not good. <laughs> I mean, just thinking about Brooklyn's record last years. I mean, he's he's been involved in the kind of the rebuilding which with Sean Marks, and so it's the record's not going to be good, right? Nope. Nope. It's, it's not, it is. <laughs> he has a career. You know, I feel like I want, I want you to guess a number, throw a number out there. Uh, let's call it a three seventy five, nah, 400 winning percentage. That's really close. That's really close. It's a 38% winning percentage. It's a point three eight. Well, not for him, but nice. Yeah. Uh, which, so so which... let me let me ask you this, Mason. What is the most frequent complaint that we get about the gentry? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for going here. His win loss record. His win loss record, man. Over over many years. So out of one, two, three, four years, Kenny Atkinson has had a winning season just once. He's made the playoffs just once. He's in in the process of making the playoffs this year. But he has a losing record. They're twenty-eight and thirty-four, which is a forty-five percent winning percentage. He is um, a coach that emphasizes pace, space, passing, and three-point shooting. <laughs> yeah, this is fun. <laughs> so what I want to know is all these people that are hounding over Kenny Atkinson, and don't get me wrong, I think Kenny Atkinson is probably a really good coach. I I really like the way he set the culture for the young players mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. I think that was one of the most promising things that was going on in Brooklyn before Kyrie and Kevin Durant go, got there and he had them playing the right way. Um, and obviously there's a lot of player development that you can point to that happened under Atkinson and whether Atkinson himself was responsible for that directly or him enabling his staff or having the right staff, whatever it is, it happened under his, his tenure, right? Um, you had Dinwiddie develop into the guy that he is. You had D'Angelo Russell develop into an all-star. Karis uh, LeVert is playing really well. Um, all, all the young players were flourishing. And, and even though they only had one winning season, which was last year, they only won 42 games. So it was literally one game <laughs> over 500. So all the same people who have those complaints about Alvin better keep that same energy for Kenny Atkinson. You cannot pretend that all of a sudden he's a much better coach than Alvin 
and and then point to Alvin's win loss record. You, you got to have the same kind of um, same kind of criticism there. Yeah. Now, I I do think it would be interesting to watch Atkinson coach a young Pelicans team who is clearly in a a, a better position to win um, or compete in a more sustainable way than than Brooklyn was just they have a lot more talent a lot more picks coming in and Atkinson really hasn't had a chance to coach a high level roster which the Pelicans are not a high level roster yet but they're they're in a good spot they're trending upwards Um, so it'd be interesting to watch how he tackles that the system wouldn't probably change all too much because we we know what he likes to do in Brooklyn in Brooklyn there were several years where they led the league in three-point attempts and, and they were just chucking and that was like when they were winning 20 games a year um, but that that's where I, what I feel about Atkinson and then Ty Lue, I, I think is going to be in a lot of demand because he's a championship level coach. He won a ring with LeBron and people are like, Oh, well, LeBron carried him to a championship. I don't think people understand how hard it is to be a head coach on a LeBron James led team and 100%. just have the enormity of, of the pressure that LeBron James brings and to be able to walk out on the other ask, side and ask win. Atkinson, man. Like he just had to deal with an injured Kevin Durant could, and couldn't handle it. You know? Right. And in Kyrie. And, and so that's why people are like, well, he'll be a natural fit in Brooklyn because he's already dealt with Kyrie. And if you could deal with LeBron with KD, he's KD, you know? Um, and, and with that respect, having a voice like that, having a presence like that on the Pelicans would probably be a good thing because one, if everything works out for Zion the way it's supposed to work out, then he's going to be one of those mega stars. And there are probably few coaches equipped to handle that level of mega stardom than, than Ty Lue and be able to hold a guy accountable. That is a mega star. Typically, as you notice player empowerment means the players have bigger voices and coaches. I don't feel like that'd be the case with Ty Lue. Ty Lue um, is a guy like who I view like Doc Rivers where their voice is going to carry to the players regardless. Um, yeah. who, which and, is, you know, which is who Tyler was with right now, Doc Rivers and the Clippers. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so that's what you're bringing in Tyloo and people who want to get lost in the weeds of, of schematics and X's and O's that is all going to be dependent on who the assistants are. So like, I'm not yeah. even going to pretend to get into that conversation because I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I stand with, with these coaches. Now it's not, it's not impossible that the Pelicans look into these guys because of the relationship Ty Lue has with David Griffin and the relationship Kenny Atkinson has with Trajan Langdon. It's not impossible. Um, and if the Pelicans feel like, hey, you know, it was, Alvin had a nice run and David's, Griffin's like, well, time to hire my own guy, then, then maybe they look at these guys. Um, they would definitely be some of the better candidates that are on the market. I, I don't know what the market's going to shape up to be this summer. Perhaps that Brett Brown enters the market as well. But and if he does, I, I expect Philly to want Ty Lue as well. I think any team that yeah. is like ready to contend at a championship level and has stars is probably going to want Ty Lue. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it goes to show you exactly what we were just talking about, whether it's Gentry or Lue, that um, it that head coaching in the NBA, maybe more than any other professional sport, is so much more than than just the X's and O's. I mean, it's not to say that it's not in a sport like football or baseball, but let's be honest, like one star does not control the game in those sports the way, it do, the way a star does in basketball. I mean, you have you could have a star pitcher or your cleanup hitter who hits 50 home runs a year, or you have your quarterback. I mean, the, the quarterback's closest you get. 
And even then you're one of like 50 guys on a roster. And it's just, a, it's a totally different situation in the NBA and you need a coach who can manage that type of, you know, a, a type of locker room and, and that type of, of dynamics on the team. And so it's exactly right. I mean, it's, it goes beyond the head coach and what, what the game plan he's putting out is it's, it's a team effort. It's, it, it's the entire coaching staff that's really getting involved in this. And it's what kind of assistance you put around si- alongside you to, to make your team successful. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's very important to keep that in mind that it's, it, it's a, it's a broad discussion and, you know, just regarding that decision that the Pelicans will be inevitably be making this summer on, do we go another year with Alvin? Do we make that, do we make a change? I mean, I think I, and, and I believe you as well, have always been of the mindset that, if you can, if you if you have that next guy and you know who that next guy is for your team in the long term, you don't you don't hesitate. I mean, I I've never been a fan of midseason moves um, unless the team is totally dead in the water and there's been a situation like what we had in Cleveland or what we had in, in Brooklyn. I, I hate the midseason firings just because of win loss record. I think it's premature. Um, but like, if if there's the guy that that uh, Griff says is the next guy for this Pelicans franchise to take the next step. And he's available this summer. Go get him. I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, we've, we've defended Gentry a lot from some of the critics because of the, because of the arguments that have been made about him, not because he's the greatest NBA coach, you know? So it, it just depends. And if, if that guy's not out there, then I'm, I don't think many, I, I'd rather wait a year and take one more year with Alvin, then go get a guy who's marginally better, you know? So I think, yeah, I mean, I, to think the Pelicans aren't doing their homework on this and, and really considering the options this summer, I think will be naive. So I fully expect them to consider and see what, who, who is out there and the fit they would have with this team, Ty Lue and Kenny Atkinson being two of those big names. And so um, we'll, we'll see what happens because Pelicans won't be alone in looking at those guys. Yeah, and I want to qualify the statement where the Pelicans are doing their homework. The Pelicans are perpetually doing yes. their homework, <laughs> regardless of who they have on the roster. And that includes for assistants and players and any possible inch that they can gain. Now, it's not it's, it's not one of those things you're like, well, I always want to just get better. Let me go find the next guy. It's just you always have to keep your eyes and ears open in this business, and you always have to be evaluated. Just, there's just no room for complacency unless you're the Knicks. Unless you're the Knicks. Unless you're the Knicks. <laughs> Anywho, in, enough enough time spent on on coaching. Um, let, let's get at another question. What you got? Uh, okay, on the spot. Let's see. Um, let's see. Um, let's go to the let's go to the recent developments around um, around the past week or so, and, and the upticks for the Pelicans. Um, and I'm just not jumping to Lonzo because I want to jump to Lonzo, but let's talk about, let's talk about what he's been doing recently from the three point line um, because it's been awesome. <laughs> and I, for one, hope it continues, but um, what, what do you, so the, the question is around um, kind of the, both the short and long-term expectations around Lonzo based on what we've seen recently and, and this whole season really from his three point percentage. So what's the, what happens to Lonzo's expectations to be finished as the season at above average percentage. So, you know, is it, do, do you, how much do you buy into the improvement? Um, do you think how, what would it take to change his reputation uh, in, I'm kind of ad-libbing this question because I think there's other interesting aspects to this, but uh, just give, give your thoughts to start off on, on Lonzo's uh, recent strong improvement in three-point percentage and what it, what it means to the future. 
I think that if he continues to hit 38% from three on six attempts a game, that's unbelievable. I think you're squarely an above average shooter and you're probably going to average two plus makes a game, which is again, unbelievable. So if that is the new reality with Lonzo ball, then I think his career trajectory changes with regards to how he fits as a starter next to Zion Williamson, with regards to how he fits in the playoffs and, and how he can close games. I think that eliminates a major vulnerability and in fact turns into a really big strength because 38% at that volume is really, really good. So I hope it holds. I was skeptical in the past and I've had good reason to be skeptical in the past. And if he continues to do this, then I will be, I will have been proven wrong in a very good way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I I hope, and I think it's important to remember in situations like this, my, my, and you and I's reaction to Lonzo is no different than it would be to literally anyone who shot that same percentage throughout their career to this point, you know, and at the free throw line, like there was very little data to suggest that Lonzo could become a good three point shooter. Good. I mean, it's, and anyone who shot the way that Lonzo shot, I would react the exact same way. And and so the fact that this is happening, I mean, and, and so I was, I was talking about this a little bit yesterday and um, Ben replied to me and it was a very good reply uh, regarding Lonzo and how many I was I was I was talking to him about how many how many threes really you need to be predictive and so the fact that the analysis that I think was on uh, I can't remember what what side it was on before maybe it was non-calculus. Non-calculus. non-calculus so like 700 750 attempts is what it takes to stabilize or to be have any predict real predictive value but also that doesn't incorporate the fact that they read it re- revamp Lonzo's shot completely and it, I, I would be curious I think it's really interesting that the uh, higher volume of three-point shooting uh, that's been going on every, in the league every year since then. If you rerun the analysis, what would it be? Would it look any different? And so, um, so I, I mean, I think, it, I, I think the fact that he shot as many as he shot this year and having the success that he has, I don't know how predictive it is, but I'm willing to buy into it a little bit more than maybe I would have um, a year well, or two. Well, I think one of the biggest components of his shooting that people overlook beyond his mechanics is a huge reason for his improvement is his shot selection. And and just oftentimes players can improve drastically from a percentage standpoint if they eliminate one or two bad shots per game. Mm-hmm. And what Lonzo has done is he's eliminated one or two bad shots per game and added one or two good shots per game. And by good shots, I mean he's taking more corner threes than ever. Like by percentage of his three-point attempts, he's taking the highest percentage of corner threes than ever and people are like well why, Lonzo why do you go stand in the, why, why does Alvin have Lonzo stand in the corner and it's like that's first of all coaches aren't telling who to stand in the corner it's organic it happens that way the offense is designed so every player can fill any particular spot and Lonzo has figured out that he is good from the corners and is relocating there and he's nailing his shots from there and, and they're easier shot attempts they're easy catch and shoot it's less off less off the dribble for him so he's improved his shot selection he's improved his mechanics and there's very good reason to be optimistic that you know even if 38 percent is on the high end 
you know, if he's a 37% shooter for the, the remainder of his career, that's great basketball. Yeah. And I think people need it. And so that's interesting. I haven't looked at the, um, the shot quality. And so I, I, what bears on the eye test is absolutely the corner three uh, aspect, but I, I guess I didn't, I, I wasn't noticing as much of a more curated shot selection uh, from well, he's, a, he's all but eliminated his like dumb stuff. Like just look at look at how Lonzo was shooting to start the year, and you're like, my God, Lonzo, you should not have taken that shot. And it wasn't because he shouldn't shoot threes. It was the time, the place, the difficulty, what he was doing. And it's like that. There's no reason that shot should have been shot. And now he's taking shots within the flow of the offense, and primarily there are, are catch and shoot and they're being fed to him off of attention other people are, are drawing, and they're mm-hmm. in rhythm, easy basketball shots yeah. that he practices. Yeah. Uh, and the other point I was going to make is around, you know, it, I, think, I think we need all these to really understand what 38% from three really means. I mean, that's, that's a percentage that's – it's not astronomically high, but, I mean, anytime you get close to 40, that's legitimately really good. And that's not just a guy like that. That's abnormally good for, especially for a guy who was shooting the way he was before in Lonzo. I mean, that's typically you see a guy go from bad to okay. And then okay to good. I mean, if they're going to make this progression, I mean, you see it, you've seen it recently over the past, you know, half dozen years and the the three and D uh, type type archetype of player and making sure these guys getting these guys who are above average defensive wings to just practice three pointer after three pointer and, and be that type of guy. Um, and so the fact that Lonzo has been able to make this type of revolutionary change, so not overnight, but damn near close to that is it has to be considered unexpected. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm here for it and I'm ready to see some more. 38% from three is 1.14 points per possession or an offensive rating of 114, which would be one of the best offenses in the league. And that's before you re- realize Zion's going to be rebounding the misses and dunking them. Right. right. <laughs> so yeah, good reason to be optimistic about it. Was there another part of the question? Um, oh, there was. We have a fun part of this question. Um, is there an unpopular slash frowned uh, upon? Uh, so this is from uh, B to Hata one. Is there an unpopular slash frowned upon food pairing that you like? <laughs> I.e. snow caps and popcorn. First of all, what? Snowcaps <laughs> and popcorn? Is that a real thing? Lamb and tuna fish. I mean, everyone already knows my answer. It's ramen pizza. It's ramen pizza. <laughs> I didn't know if that was actually it. It's delicious. <laughs> it's uncommon. It's clearly frowned upon based on the reactions <laughs> I got on Twitter. That was, I just remember when you posted that picture. That was it was amazing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, this makes me wish I had seen this question beforehand and could prepare for it, and I should have. But um, I'm gonna have an answer before the end of the podcast, and I'm just gonna drop it at a random time. But I don't have one right now. I'm trying to think of the most ridiculous answer possible. Ever wonder why traditional button-ups look so long and baggy? That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untucked shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. 
Don't just take my word for it. Try Untucket for yourself. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. That's untuckit.com and promo code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. All right. So here's a person we haven't talked about in a while. What do you think the Pelicans want to see Jackson Hayes become in comparison to a current or past player? What would you want the Pelicans to trade for Miles Turner? Um, would oh sorry, sorry, and would you want the Pelicans to trade for Miles Turner for a solidified front court for the next three years at the risk of slow Hayes development? And what is the best Disney movie? <laughs> uh, okay, so regarding the trade option first i don't i mean i don't know i'm i'm less in on the idea of a big like that than i was before and like honestly i just don't know how you come up with the money to do that at this point in terms of matching salary unless you're trading jj um but uh i mean i just don't know if it's worth trading what what Miles Turner would be worth on the open market um, for him right now. Cause I'm still trying to feel this team out and how they operate best. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of out on, on that type of move right now, at least. Um, and I'll let you take first stab at the Jackson Hayes part. I'm trying to think of my, I mean the Disney, I'm, I'm a, I'm a classic guy for the Disney movie. And I think, I think I give Lion King the edge slightly over, over Aladdin, but, those are, I mean, those are my, my classics. My favorite Disney movie is The Phantom Menace. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the word, I am hanging up. <laughs> is um, anything on Disney Plus qualify? Is that, is that what we're saying here? I, anything Disney owns, man, which is literally everything. So <laughs> all of Marvel, I guess. Uh, my least favorite Disney movie is Winter Soldier. Ben. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So what do I want the Pels to see Jackson Hayes become? Well, I think, I think I am very high on Jackson Hayes. I think he is still about two years away from being where I, I want him to be, but what, where I see him, if he doesn't develop a, a jumper, where I see him as being an extremely high energy big, that's going to start games for you. He's going to play around 25 to 30 minutes on the high end, probably in the low 25s. Going to destroy everything on defense and dunk everything on offense. Probably not going to be the best rebounding person, but just a game changer in terms of athletic plays and allows you to play really fast and defend some of the bigger bodies for Zion while you ultimately go close the game with someone that's more perimeter oriented. Now, if he develops a jump shot and if, if you know, five years from now he's Serge Ibaka, then that's someone I can see you closing games with. And maybe they do depending on certain matchups anyway, because I, I anticipate Jackson Hayes becoming at least, you know, like a B plus level big who in terms of defending the perimeter, stepping out on the perimeter and defending um, more perimeter oriented players on switches. So I'm pretty high on him. And if you look at Serge Ibaka's trajectory, he started off as, a poor shooter didn't really take many shots um, outside of the paint. He's really athletic, got a lot of blocks, wasn't the best rebounder. I um, think he shot below 70% from the free throw line his first year and then steadily improved his jumper until now. This year, you know, he's averaging 
38 point something percent from three and has just been an excellent floor spacer for Toronto. So that's what I see with Jackson Hayes. I am out on Miles Turner, just completely out on him. I don't think night to night he gives you what he need, what you need. I don't think he's a good enough three point shooter to where defenses are going to be like, you know what? We're going to defend Miles Turner and not defend Zion. And 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 so I think you're still going to have that spacing issue when it comes to Miles Turner. I I also think that he's not very good at stepping out on the perimeter and containing guards. And he's fine. If if we didn't have Jackson Hayes, you know, it'd be great. I think Turner would fit better than Favors does. But I'm I'm just not in love with Miles Turner. I think again going back to Serge Ibaka, I think Serge Ibaka is a better player than Miles Turner. And the only difference is Ibaka is like 45 years old and Miles Turner is like 23. I don't know. No, Ibaka's like, <laughs> Ibaka's only 29, but you know, like whatever he's Ibaka's surprisingly not that, that old. So I, I think there's a lot of game left in Ibaka. And if the Pelicans could manage to get Ibaka to be that token starter until Jackson Hayes is ready, um, that'd be phenomenal. So, so that's where I'm at with that situation. I'm out on Miles Turner. I don't think he's worth the assets that it would we take to get him. A, we already have a center from Texas, so we don't need another one. Yeah, that's it's whatever. <laughs> I think you can get Derek Favors for like $5 million or $8 million next year, which I think Derek Favors is going to give you pretty much everything Miles Turner does minus the shooting. Mm. Probably more. Derek Favors is a much better rebounder. Next one, next one I got, I'm going to pair, I'm going to slightly amend this question too. Uh, it's from uh, Christopher Schultz. And he, he, he asked if we only had to keep three players from our squad, would you choose? And he gives a few options, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to open like blank slate. Let's just say you have to pick three current Pelicans players for the team for the next five years. Um, so I'm not, I'm not just asking you to accumulate the three best existing assets for the team. Let's just say they've got to be on the team for the next five years. I assume, I assume I know what the first two are, but maybe I don't. So who, who are the three with, for, for all five years? Frank Jackson, Nikhil Alexander Walker, <laughs> and Nicola Melli. Yes. Yes. I think the answers are very clearly Zion, Ingram, and Lonzo just given their age and and their contract statuses and their ability to both be young and have potential to improve, but also ability to contribute now. You know, I, I think if there was a way to squeeze Drew in there, I would, but if for the next five years, an issue, would you, would the answer still be the same? If what? If, if contracts weren't an issue, let's say they all cost the same. No, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem. I think what what it is is in five years, Drew is going to be thirty four. Older than that, I think. he's twenty nine. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oops. Man, you let the Lonzo <laughs> stands convince you that Drew is just like old, decrepit player. Man. <laughs> Seriously. Not even at thirty yet, bro. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Maybe thirty four, pushing on thirty five. So it's it's not a situation where. I, I really want Drew in in five years. Um, I think he could probably still be an effective player, maybe off the bench. But mm-hmm. when the question is, who would you rather have in five years? Well, Lonzo would be what, like twenty six, at that point. Well, for the next for the next five years, not in five years. Sure, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, I, yeah. That's, that's fair. And I, I'm pretty sure I, my answer is the same. Um, I, I, it just depends on how you value the now versus the later, whether you take Lonzo or Drew. I think and, a better question is who contributes to more wins over the next two years? Of, out of who? Out of, out of any of your top three, your top three, who, who contributes the most wins on the mm-hmm. roster out of anyone? I, I mean, I, I got to think it's Zion. Top three, baby. Top three? Okay. Zion. I mean, Zion, Drew, and Ingram are the three for the next two years, I think. I can see there being an argument for for Zion, Lonzo, and Drew. Huh. Uh Uh-oh. We haven't had enough Brandon Ingram hate on the podcast recently, so go to town. I don't, defend I think, defend I your don't, argument. I, I hate that you phrased it as hate. <laughs> That's the world we live in crazies, now, man. You're going to have this... all the crazies coming at me like, you hate Brandon Ingram. You, hate, <laughs> you always hated him. That one time in December you said you didn't want him. You've always been. You can have all those crazies coming at me, and I don't, I don't really want that. I think what I do think is, is Brandon Ingram is sort of a third-rail topic for Pelicans fans, and, and they're not comfortable discussing – his shortcomings mm-hmm. uh, because he's been a fabulous scorer and he's, he's, he's been this, this amazingly efficient scoring wing. That is something the Pelicans literally never, never had in the history mm-hmm. of their franchise. And so that all kind of blinds the other stuff that comes with Ingram, which were major concerns we raised before acquiring Ingram before, like when we were having like mock trade discussions for, for the Anthony Davis stuff. And the problem with Ingram, and again, I hate that I have to, I live in a world where I got to qualify all of my statements because some guy is going to be like, well, on the pod, you said, no, just just shut up for a second. (laughs) Listen. And so, again, I I think Ingram is a long-term piece on, on this Pelicans team. I think he's going to get a maximum contract because he is worth one. Hopefully that he is an all-star in the Western Conference. I mean, like hopefully that is enough praise for this guy. Um, but the issue I, I see with Ingram is one, I genuinely, genuinely think he is among the worst defenders at his position. Just flat out from from a recognition standpoint and an effort standpoint. And, and if his effort improves, I think he goes from F to C. Max. And and it doesn't have is that do. in his prime too, or just like over the next couple of years? It's so difficult to judge primes. I think he can become an above average team defender in his prime. I don't know about one-on-one. No, I don't even know about team. I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to go there. I don't want to okay. go there. I, I, I am curious. Is that, does that hold true whether he's at the three or the four defensively for you? I think he's dramatically worse at the four, but I don't think it really matters. I think I agree. I was just curious. I think he's yeah. got some good matchup defense. He's got some good matchups on defense at the four, but, also, but broadly, I think. I think no, I think at the four, it's, it's, he's just a lot better than the other person on offense. I think uh, that's where I like him at the four, just because who's a four that can stick with him? Um, but my, my, my thing with Ingram is he downloads information on dial up. Like that's how slow he processes things, <laughs> Interesting. both offensively and defensively. Now you look, you talk about Lonzo who sees things 
materializing before the teammates even realize it. You talk about Draymond who like sees things defensively and he starts like simmering like a hologram and anticipating a play. Like Ingram is so far removed from that. And it's not even that you want him to get that. You want him to get to like average level of recognition. And it's entirely possible that it's, it's a product of youth, but it's very bad at the moment. And, and that's a, that's a topic that I don't think people are comfortable talking about. And, and it's fine. It, it may not be relevant down the stretch, but my issues with building around Ingram long-term are the Pelicans need to figure out a way to surround themselves with enough defenders to be a great team. I have no doubts that they will be a playoff level team for, for however long, but with Zion Williamson, the conversation is not going to be playoffs. The conversation is going to be contender and championship level team. And to reach that ceiling, you're going to have to surround Zion and Ingram with multi-positional defenders who can take all of those talented perimeter players because there is not a single star level or even above average level offensive player that I feel putting Ingram on and it'd be comfortable with it. There was a play, I forgot what game it was. There's JJ and Ingram on the floor together. And they called for Ingram's guy to come screen because they thought he was a bigger liability on that matchup. Like that's that's what's telling to me, those kind of situations. Yeah. Yeah. And so so my argument for oh, and then that that's defense. And I think offensively, it's important, it's awesome that he's scoring all these points at a ridiculously high rate. But as we've seen, um, he sometimes has a tendency to take matters in his own hands and he, and he operates as a system breaker. And I think there are guys who are good enough offensively to be system breakers um, and they have license to do that. I don't think Ingram is quite there yet. And I think it's more likely he turns into a guy that is good enough offensively to do that than it is that he turns into a guy where I feel comfortable with him on defense that's where I'm at with him. And that's fine. If he turns into that level of offensive player that you can live with the defensive stuff because you, you do so with every other type of offensive superstar, like your Damian Lillard's or your Kyrie Irving's. Right. Um, I don't think he's there yet as an offensive player. I think he scores a lot of points in a way that I don't necessarily know raises the level of offense for the rest of the team. There are definitely situations. Now, now here's where I want to like qualify things. Like I think he wants to play the right way most of the time. I think if he has the opportunity to make plays for others, he is going to make plays for others. I don't think he's a natively selfish person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've seen it when I think we've seen that as or as much when when Drew's been out and it's been kind of the Lonzo and Baron Ingram show. I think Bi's done a good, really good job of that. Right. I don't, I don't think he's a natively selfish person. I think it goes back to the recognition and information downloading part. I just think he sees things developing so slowly and he needs time to process. And that's how his game works too. All his like elongated pump fakes and, and, and him dribbling to size up people is literally him giving himself time to see what is developing, to slow things down. And that is, potentially a thing that's going to change with experience and time. And I hope it does. But the argument for Lonzo being more valuable than Ingram is the same argument I made for Lonzo being more valuable as an asset than Ingram back when the trade happened Mm -hmm. um, or back before the trade, which is Lonzo at his peak can be elite 
in several areas of the game, which is rebounding, defense, playmaking. And if his catch and shoot three holds, then you're looking at a complete player. Where Lonzo falls short, where's what separates him from becoming like a true star. He's like a a Draymond type star where he's going to raise the ceiling of your team and in a sense contribute to more wins. Um, Where I think Draymond contributed to more wins than Clay did, even though Clay was a far more offensive player and a supremely integral part of the Warriors um, dynasty. And people probably disagree with me, but I, I don't think that team functions without Draymond. And I think Lonzo can get to that level. I, I think he's very far away from it. I think from the, the inconsistency we see yeah. on a night-to-night basis kind of prevents him from being that. But, like, you know, if you, if you take all of his peaks, right, like all of the peaks that Lonzo has shown, and you're like, all right, can you consistently hit these peaks? Then there is the argument for him producing more wins over the uh, next two-year period um, than Ingram. And then the argument becomes even more different when you're – talking about the dollar if you place a dollar amount on that on that wins so like how many wins is Ingram producing to relative to a max contract how many wins is Lonzo producing relative to one more year of a rookie scale contract and then whatever the hell he's going to get next and and that's why again people are going to disagree with me and this is not just me saying it because Drew just Drew had a 37 point game I think I've said this multiple times over the season I said this Right before the All-Stars were selected, I was on the Fast Break podcast, and they said, who's more deserving of being an All-Star, Drew Holiday or Brandon Ingram? And I said, Brandon Ingram by far. But I then said, I think Drew Holiday is the more impactful player and contributes to winning more than Ingram, but Ingram is the more deserving All-Star. I still hold that that belief that Drew Holiday – is the player on the Pelicans that's producing more wins than either of those two at the moment. And I think that's going to be the case for the next two years. And that's simply a product of, of how valuable Drew is as a creator, um, as a defender, as a playmaker, and, and just a do-it-all guy. Like The way he controlled everything against the Timberwolves, just every single possession went through him. Um, unless it was transition and, and Lonzo was just doing an amazing job in transition, but in the half court, they could get nothing going, especially against his own, unless it was drew just, just running the show. Yep. And to me, that kind of stuff becomes even more valuable in the playoffs. And, and perhaps if the Pelicans make the playoffs and Ingram balls out, I'll change my mind. But I mean, and I think Ingram is a fantastic player, great long-term fit. I'm excited, super excited to see his development I I think he can turn into a tier one scorer. I think that's it, it's all there. Yeah. But I I need to see more from him when when he's not scoring. Yeah, yeah. And the the one thing I would add to that is the value. And obviously, it, it doesn't really resonate at this point just because of how the Pelicans have not been the best clutch team. But I, I think any truly elite team needs a guy like Ingram who can go and be the offense when things break down and obviously he's not especially it, it, when to when teams lock down defensively in the last few minutes of the game you've seen him come up short but I think you've also seen flashes and you've seen that to your point he can there's a good reason to expect he's going to become 
that guy or, or, or have at least has a good chance to get there. And that's, and that's something uh, kind of kind of like the, um, you know, the defense, the defensive issues that come up and how the Pelicans need to cover for him to be a truly uh, contending level team. I think the fact that he, they've got a guy who they think can be an offensive weapon like that. And, and as a, as a uh, last resort or, or life, life raft is also very valuable. And so, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I have a ton of praises for everything that Ingram has done this season. And, and I hope people don't walk away from this podcast being like, ah, oh, you just took this chance to shit on Ingram, which is not the point. I already did all my hating before we traded for him. I got that out of my system. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I, one kind of follow-up question to that is you mentioned needing versatile uh, multi-positional defenders uh, as, as a way to help this team get, get to that level. Is there anyone this summer who you would look at as an MLE type candidate who could be not necessarily he's that, he's that player at when this Pelicans team is hopefully in the position to at least fight to get deep in the playoffs. But is there, is there a guy you have in mind or uh, that, that you would look at this summer or too early? No, I, I, I don't think there is an MLE level guy that they can really steal because those guys aren't MLE level guys, unless, you know, you, you convince PJ Tucker to take a massive discount like the Rockets did. And, and you grab, you know, Robert Covington who's making 12 mil a year. Like, I just don't think I, maybe I have to relook at the free agency class. I don't think there is that guy in free agency. Well, what's the, Thinking about the guy we talked about before he got bought or when he got bought out, M- what's the MKG level? What's the amount you're willing to spend on a guy like him? The biannual at max. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, he's the only guy I could think of on the free agent market that maybe could come at a discount that fills that maybe even starts to fill that kind of need for this team. Um, I'd have to look at the list, like you said, to find another guy, but. Just wanted to see what your thoughts were on him. Yeah, I mean, the the, the question with MKG becomes is like. Vincent, can, it, can Vincent a, help him too? <laughs> yes. Well, can one, can Vincent help him? Two, can how much, like what percentage of MKG can you turn Zylan into? I think that's a legitimate question. And it could be like, it could be like 10%. It could be like, no, Zylan's just not an NBA player. I don't know, but I want I want to see that. At least in the like, you know, give them a chance in the preseason or something. I, I want to see. I want to see what they can do with him because it, it seems like from a physical profile, from a statistical profile, he has all the tools. He's, you know, a six nine listed as six five, which they haven't corrected. And he'll joke about it. He's he's a really big turbo forward with a ton of motor. He rebounds the ball like crazy. Can play small ball center. Has started to to step out and attempt and, and even hit threes in the G League. Has decent-ish handles to where he can take it coast to coast. Just uber athletic. So like again, he's multi-positional. I would rather invest in Zylan at a roster spot in minutes than than MKG. It'd be real nice if one of him or DD pans out as a real rotation piece. We have one or who? Him or DD? Yeah, yeah, it really would be nice. What's yeah, uh, I, what's I, next? Okay, there's a lot of questions to get through. So, there was a 
a fun component of eh, forget it we're, we're past this um, I think just kind of similar um, to what we've been talking about Kane um, asks us long term when finding someone to re- replace Drew would you rather a higher volume guy that excels at running a pick and roll with a dynamic pull-up or would you prefer a low volume floor spacer? That's a really good question. I want to kick it to you first. Yeah. I, I think it leaned the, the former. Um, I, I just think, and I guess I maybe have a little bit of recency bias in what I was looking at today, just looking at. Um, so I was digging into drives per game, not just, not just the stuff you've been looking at on a game by game basis for Lonzo, but kind of league wide and what that looks like. And I just, so I'm, I have concerns about removing Drew and not replacing him with a, not necessarily a guy who goes 15 plus per game, but not, but removing him with a, and not replacing him with a similar type threat. Um, just because, I mean, if you pull him away, the number one Pelicans top, the guy who attacks the paint most for the Pelicans is Brandon Ingram. So, and unless you expect him to really be take on that, that primary playmaking type role in the half court, because I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just not who Lonzo is. Um, I, I just, I, I, that I have reservations about that strategy. And so, um, I mean, they're, they're very, they're, the play, the teams that get their top, their, their top driver per game being not a playmaking guard are Jimmy Butler in Miami, Andrew Wiggins, LeBron and Kawhi. I mean, like every other team, their primary, uh, you know, their, their leader in drives per game is a, is a playmaking guard. And usually it's a point guard, can be a two guard, like, like your boy, Bradley Beal, or, um, you know, actually, um, uh, you know, uh, Luca, obviously he's whatever position you want to call him. DeRozan actually is the number one driver on the Spurs. So I, I just... I don't know the, 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 the weird, so the weird exception and it was interesting when I was digging into this a little bit more, who, who leads the Denver Nuggets and drives per game? If you had to guess. I would have to guess Monte Morris. So he's third. So not bad. Um, get, Will Barton is number oh one. Oh my God. <laughs> really? Will Barton is number one at eight per game. Unless I whiffed on, um, Unless I whiffed on Jamal Murray and just buried him for some weird reason, um, I th- I'm pretty sure it's it's Will Barton. And I, I mean, I, I think that's a it's a weird situation in Denver because of the way they run the offense through Jokic. So, but but I mean, besides him, I mean the he's the lowest in drives per game for the leader on any team. The second lowest is D'Angelo Russell, and then Devonte Graham, Kemba Walker. So these are guys that are still 10 to 12 drives per game, but they're the end of the highest on their team but it's still kind of low and I, I just anyway the long-winded answer is saying I don't know how the Pelicans function without a guy who can consistently attack and maybe maybe when you have Zion and Ingram and they're closer to their are, are really growing into more active more dynamic offensive roles it can work but I just I don't know I just don't see it I think I, I think you need a guy who can get into the paint and cause some cause some trouble um, and have not have to rely on BI to be the, that guy. I mean, unless you think Nikhil can get there, uh, which I guess is a fair question, but I don't think it's a fair question for next year. So um, what, what do you think? 
So I've been very outspoken on the fact that Drew Holiday is the only player on the Pelicans who can consistently play make out of a dribble drive. Ingram can make plays out of while, while driving. Again, he has a recognition problem where he's kind of slow. He's made some fantastic passes, but you know, his, his, his assist to turnover rate, especially in drives is not great. His assist rate in drives is like not great either. Um, it may be because it's not something he's had to do. And so the pushback I'm going to give you is if you're ever going to figure out if, if Ingram and Zion become those guys, it's not going to happen with a guy like Drew Mm-hmm. or a replacement for Drew on the team. Mm-hmm. So true. if you want those guys to hit their respective ceilings in those areas, you've got to put them in a situation where they are doing that. Yeah, And and so I do want a situation where you just ramp up the usage for Zion and see what happens. I do want a situation yeah. where you enable him and you ask him to become a better ball handler and you have him drive and use him more like Giannis rather than just a guy that sits in the paint and, and what does he do? He just begs for post-ups. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want that. Um, I don't want that to be Zion in the half court. I want them to be as dynamic and as complete players as possible. Mm -hmm. But then you'd have to drill into BI that, okay, well, Drew's not here. You are responsible for this. You can't just lays into a a pull-up mid-range shot because you didn't get all the way to the paint. You know, and, and you have to work with him on those reads and, and that's going to be got to be a huge part of of player development. And so my answer to that question goes to the quality of the player. Now, if I'm replacing Drew with an excellent pull up shooter and driver, then, yes, I think the ceiling of a team with that kind of player is much higher than a guy like Robert Covington. Um, just because it makes yourself more dynamic, you know? Um, but if you're asking me to replace Drew with trying to think of a guy that drives at a, as a similar rate, I don't know. I'm just going to play pull it. If you're going to ask me to like replace Drew with like DJ Augustine, like let's pretend DJ Augustine is like a really good pull-up threat versus, you know, a, a three and D guy. I'm like, well, no, just give me the three and D guy because I don't think DJ Augustine like is going to add value yeah. Enough. Fair so enough. like if, if the guy that's low usage or low touch usage, he needs to be really good at one thing um, or, or multiple other things. So it could just be shooting. Like I, I think for what was brought up with the Miami situation was Tyler Harrow. And if Tyler Harrow becomes an insanely good shooter, then yes, that is someone you have to, you'd be fine putting in the starting lineup because he, he's an outlier level skilled person that you could insert there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know what, I'll, I'll take the the other approach. I think if you, if you replace Drew with a, a low usage guy that can contribute in mo- multiple other areas, I, let's see what Ingram is all about. Let's see what Zion is all about. And it gives you time early in their contracts to figure that out rather than later. And you can decide a, if you want to continue with that core or B, you want to bring in a guy like Drew to settle things yeah. down. You're like, oh shit, we made a mistake. Let's yeah. let's right. go get that guy that does this stuff. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And also, I I will I, I somehow did miss Jamal Murray, but he's not. So Jamal Murray's at nine point seven drives per game, and Will Barton's at eight. So it's not like it's a huge difference there. Um, and, and that would make that would make Will Barton, or that would make Jamal Murray still the lowest um, the lowest number of drives per game for any team leader. Um, but there are some 
really funny. There's really funny stuff on here when I was looking through this. Lonzo's this at below six, right? Lonzo is 5.9 right now, yes. You want, do you want to guess the Lakers number three in drives? So you know the first two, would be, it's, it's LeBron and Rondo. Who's three? KCV. Nope. One more guess, and I'll tell you. I don't want to guess Caruso. So it's I'm going to guess I'm going to guess Kuzma. It is Kyle Kuzma. Oh my god. <laughs> it's at 4.4 drives per game. It's Kyle Kuzma. <laughs> I think he's the lowest third, not third banana in terms you, of drives. So you have those stats pulled up. I want you to filter from January 2022. 20, I think that's when when Zion came back. I dumped it into Excel. Um but what what's uh so I don't have it up, but why? Because I want you to see where Zion is in relation to, to Lonzo. So let me pull that up for you if you uh, give me, uh, I, give I me three. Because we have a running well, bet on this who Lonzo's, finishes the season. Yeah, and Lonzo's – I think he's had an uptick since then. So January 22nd. I don't think so. Running it now for – I don't think so. Uh, so since January 22nd, Lonzo's at 5.1 and Zion's at 4.4. <laughs> It's really close. <laughs> oh man, yeah. There, I and I lied. The uh, the lowest third banana is not Kuzma. It's actually, uh, it's over in Portland because after Dame and CJ, there's nothing. There's Simons is third at four. Yeah, they have no one game. that can dribble the ball there. Melo's not <laughs> driving. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing else. So yeah, I think the Pelicans will need a, a guy to do that, but not necessarily in the starting lineup. They could have a guy like Nikhil, and, and that gives you kind of flexibility with, with how you want to close games. Um, it may not end up being Nikhil because I have no clue what kind of player he's going to turn into. But I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> he's been kind of weird. And, yeah, so it may not be Nikhil, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, like let's say – I think there's an argument to be made. Like if you traded Drew Holiday for for OG Ananobi, Serge Ibaka, and picks, how much worse does the team get? And I think there are situational um, moments where you need you're going to need Drew Holiday's ability to create offense out of nowhere. But as far as the floor goes, you know, you have two versatile defenders who are fine from three and they're kind of low usage as players and you're, and you're rolling out Lonzo Ingram and Anobi Zion and Ibaka Ibaka. Like that's a pretty darn good lineup. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I just want to make sure that everyone who, the, the three people who are big fans of Ingram and Lonzo who did not stop listening or Ingram specifically, you just, you just pretty much said that the team trading drew maybe wouldn't have see that much of a fall off. So I just want to make sure people know, but you know what? I'm, I'll say the same thing. You could, you could replace that with, with Ingram. You could replace that with Lonzo. And if you got the right players, you wouldn't see that much of a drop off. I will, I will maintain that. I think any of those three players, if you get the right combination of players back, you can make it work. I think with those three players, you can make it work. I would still like, you know, a high-level multi-positional defender to round out that that five and be able to close games with them because I I, I genuinely think Lonzo, Drew, Bi, and Zion can be a good four. I don't know if it's a championship level four, 
but that de- I think that depends on how well Zion defend uh, Zion defends and develops as a defender and and develops as an overall player, and and, and obviously depends on how high um, Ingram can go as a star player. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been going for a while. Do you have one more you want to hit on before? We There's wrap? so many questions. I know, man. There's so many of them. Uh, a lot of overlap though. So like, I feel like we've hit, we've at least tangentially hit some that we didn't answer directly. Yeah. We've covered um, a lot of these topics. Yeah. Like, um, there's a lot of Jared Allen questions and I'm just going <laughs> to Texas centers, them. man. They're all, I'm just going to address them by saying, no, I do not want Jared Allen because you're going to have to pay him in, in about a year. And honestly, Jackson Hayes is probably going to turn into something similar in uh, a very short time. And so just adding another non-shooting center to, to our group is not where I want to go. The next big I want to invest money in is someone I want that can play with both Zion and, and Hayes. That is what I want. So, so please pass on, on Jared Allen. And while we're at it, pass on Karis Levert. I mean, I feel like you guys just want to turn us into the Nets where you have Trajan and you have Atkinson and you have – all of the Nets players, like Karis Levert, I don't think adds anything to our roster. Like, he's a worse scorer than Drew, and he's nowhere near the defender or playmaker. So you're just adding another mouth to feed while completely removing any defensive ability um, that that lineup can offer and, and completely removing uh, the ability to playmake. So it's just like, yeah, just, just add another young player who who wants to get shots up. Great. That, that's the move to make. To make. <laughs> Uh, this, <laughs> D, this one of the guys who asked about Jared Allen. So Jared Lyons asks, "Do you think the Pels might play better at home if there were no fans in attendance?" Circling back to the coronavirus topic. That's a good question. <laughs> what? How do you even play if there's like you know like do coaches call timeouts based on momentum? Like what is momentum? <laughs> Yeah, it's so do you, funny, I like, feel like st- do like arenas start pumping in crowd noise artificially at that point? Ask the Falcons about that. I am in Atlanta. Yeah, they got in trouble for that. I, I know you're not a football guy, but they got in trouble for that. So if if no team had the advantage of their home court, who has the best home court advantage? So obviously Denver and it's Utah. Denver. Yeah, it's Denver. It's the alt- altitude. I guess the oh, Nets no, would play better. No one wait, cares about the Nets. You still have – arguably the nightlife uh, advantage would be even better because you don't have account- fans to be accountable for at the game, <laughs> just the ones watching on TV. L.A., Miami, those maybe take a, get an uptick. Yeah, I don't know. It just feel like a practice. So weird. I think yeah. the Pelicans – I think the Pelicans would get better. Wait, really? Yes, because they have a lot of young, dumb players who try to do stuff for the crowd. <laughs> I don't think I'd go that far. I think home court advantage is real. It just it's the, it's the degree. I I would agree with you that maybe the Pelicans' home court advantage is Pelicans are a better road team. Get out of here. That's I don't buy that in a large sample. What other sample do we have? We, uh, history for the through the league. <laughs> 
I mean, I think the Pelicans have a home court advantage. It's just not as strong as maybe other teams' home court advantage for whatever reason, whether you want to call it the uh, the maturity level of the players, the actual rowdiness of the crowd, et cetera. But I think that – I do not think they would be better with no fans. I'll just say that. Okay. Well, we can agree to disagree, and we can end our podcast on that note. Thanks for listening, guys. everyone my name is colin kelly and i have one question for you do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021 then be sure to check out rotoviz overtime and all the other rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on blue wire we've got you covered for all things fantasy football subscribe to rotoviz overtime today